What's up, guys? Happy Thursday. I uh, hope that you guys are having a great week. I am in D.C. right now. I know it doesn't look like I am because I'm not recording this in D.C., but as you're listening to this podcast, I will be in D.C. for the Stork Ball and the March for Life. If you guys are there tomorrow as you're listening to this, so Friday, uh, please come say hi. I will actually be with my mom. I'm excited to be there. This is actually the first time I've actually marched for life. I know the people in March for Life. I know a lot of the people associated with the movement. I'm really excited to hear Ben Shapiro speak. He is such an amazing and logical advocate uh, for preborn life, and I'm really excited about that. So anyway, today, that's not what we're going to talk about. We, I might talk about it a little bit at the end if we have time. I'm going to talk about three myths that Christian women believe. And this was actually inspired by someone who sent me a message on Instagram. And um, it, it is a, a caption of Haley Bieber, who used to be Haley Baldwin. She's a model married to Justin Bieber. It is a caption that Haley Baldwin Bieber put on Instagram and this person had a question about a few things that she had said specifically this idea that we see in a lot of Christian female circles that you are enough so I thought about this and I realized this is one of a few myths quite a few myths that particularly Christian women believe not as much Christian men I've had a, a problem for a while with female Bible studies and the way that a lot of women, not all Christian women, but a lot of women preach the Bible with this kind of me first or me centered mentality that everything in the Bible is about them. And they kind of reduce Jesus to this uh, emotionally supportive boyfriend that is almost like their... Uh, almost like their gal pal who just sits around and tell them, tells them how awesome their hair is and how great their personality is. I've always really disliked that about female Christianity because that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the same for men as he is to women. Now that's not to say there aren't differences between men and women. There are differences between men and women in the Bible, and there might even be differences in how men and women uh, approach theology in some ways, just because our minds do work differently. But the answer should be the same. Who we see God as should be the same, and how God relates to us essentially is the same. There is this mentality that I see, and I'm going to get into what the caption actually was, but just to set it up, there's this mentality that God is this kind of morphine thing that changes depending on on what our personality is, uh, that changes depending on what our preferences are, that God's word changes depending on how we see it. And that's just not true. That is whether you believe this or not, or whether you think you believe this or not, that is you saying that you are God and that God actually bends to you and that his will bends to you. That's why I have I, I like personality tests, but that's why I am wary about them. And that's why I can be cautious about them. And even recently, I kind of found myself promoting Enneagram a little bit too much. Um, and I realized, hey, this could actually encourage idolatry just a little bit because I, I get worried when we view ourselves through this lens of I am special 
Because yes, you are in some ways, but in some ways you're just, you're not. And if our constant focus is on how different and special and how unique we are um, and not on how great and special and awesome and unique God is, then I'm afraid that our theology is going to be thwarted. And that's what I think that I see in Haley, Haley Baldwin Bieber's Instagram caption. So it's long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. This is just an excerpt. Um, she says, I am insecure. I'm fragile. I'm hurting. I have fears. I have doubts. I have anxiety. I get sad. I get angry. I have had more days than I can count where I found myself scrolling through Instagram, comparing myself, comparing my looks, feeling like I'm not good enough, like I lack so many things and really struggling to be confident in who I am because I constantly feel like I'm just not good enough, dot, 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 dot. Um, that's, I'm adding that in. What I do know is God made us individuals for a reason with our own beauty, our own personalities and our own story because there's a specific plan and purpose for each and every human created and he makes no mistakes. So this year I'm going to do my very best to just be me and be confident with who I am because I am enough and I'm loved and you are enough and you're loved. So this sounds really good and I don't want it to seem like I am slamming Haley Baldwin or Haley Bieber as this, uh, awful heretic. She might be at a particular place in her sanctification where she is still learning uh, about theology and this is just where she is. And I commend her for uh, being vulnerable. Sadly, this social media world has created a world in which comparison um, and insecurity is probably, I, I don't know this for sure, but it seems to be a little bit higher than it has been in the past. It's interesting. I actually was having a conversation with this uh, with my friend about this the other day about how you always hear. And again, this is not a generalization or a wholesale judgment on fashion bloggers. I follow a ton of fashion bloggers that I think are awesome. They're the opposite of trash people, which is like really cool. Um, you always hear them talk about anxiety. It's almost like every single fashion blogger or design lifestyle blogger always talks about anxiety. And I just think, yeah, that that would be really anxiety inducing if your entire career and your entire livelihood was based on how many likes you get on a photo because that determines how many advertisers you have, how many how much you get paid for your sponsored posts. And there are so many other people like you promoting the same products as you, promoting the same kind of brand. That would be really anxiety inducing. And so I think what Haley Baldwin says here is um, extremely telling of just kind of where we are as a culture. And quite frankly, I think it's very sad. We all fall into this trap. It's so easy to do in the social media world. But my problem is not with the problems that she has, because I'm glad that she's being honest about that, especially because she is so beautiful and so what so many people would would see as perfect and is married to Justin Bieber. So I think it's good that she's having this kind of transparency. My problem is the way that she comforts herself is actually the way that a lot of Christian females comfort themselves. So she says, uh, with our own beauty, God made us with our own beauty, our own personalities, our own story, because there's a specific plan for each and every human being created and he makes no mistakes. Okay true. Uh, so this year I'm going to do my very best to just be me and be confident in who I am because I am enough and I am loved and you are enough and you are loved. So there are a few myths in there that if we're not critically thinking people, we are going to miss. Um, and I think for whatever reason, we give celebrity Christians a pass, but we shouldn't be just excited when a celebrity says the word God or says that they pray without taking stock of, okay, like let's look at their, let's, let's look at their lives and judge with as much wisdom and grace as we possibly can. Um, what their, what that looks like. Same with president Trump, same with anyone. 
That doesn't mean that we know their whole hearts. That doesn't mean that we know their whole lives. That doesn't mean that we sit here and say, you're going to hell because we don't know that. But we are able to use discernment and to use our eyes and to use our ears and say, okay, okay, okay. You pray, that's good. Okay, there's some other things that we need to talk about. And it's the same thing with this Haley Bieber Baldwin post, the way that she comforts herself are filled with these myths that are not actually theologically true. So let's go into that a little bit. Um, she talks about how finding yourself is hard uh, also in this whole thing and how she just needs to be me. She needs to be confident who she is. Um, she is enough. You see this a lot in popular celebrity Christianity. You see it with Jen Hatmaker. You see it with Rachel Hollis. Uh, you see it sometimes with Beth Moore with a lot of Christian influencers out there. Uh, this seems to be, like I said, almost an exclusively female thing. This just need we have to hear that we are enough. Um, but quite frankly, the way that Haley Baldwin Bieber is comforting herself, the way that I see a lot of these Rachel Hollises, the, a lot of these gin hat makers, a lot of these female Bible leaders uh, comforting themselves and comforting insecurities and comforting lack of confidence and uh, this whole comparison trap that we find ourselves in, the comfort that they give themselves is wrong. It is worldly. It is not biblical and therefore it is insufficient. So here's myth number one. Myth number one is you are enough. Um, no, you're not. You're actually not enough. The Bible never says that you are enough. You are not enough. Actually, we are severely lacking. I am lacking. I am incomplete. I will never be enough. I will never be good enough. I am not kind. I am, am not righteous. I am not generous. I am not beautiful enough. I am not talented enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not healthy enough. I'm not organized enough. I will never be enough ever, ever. And that is okay. And it, it's not the comfort in that is not that, yes, I am. I'm enough in all of my inadequacies. The comfort is that no, I'm not, but Jesus is that Jesus is enough. And in him, I find my sufficiency. In him, I find myself complete. In him, I find myself good. Uh, not because of anything that I have done, but because what he did for me on the cross, that he made my slate clean. And that has nothing to do with what I did. No, I am not enough, but God. The two greatest words in the Bible that are, that are put together, but God, but God in Ephesians two, it says, be rich in mercy with the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved, but God, no, you are not enough. You will never be enough. You will never be good enough. There's always going to be someone better than you, but God, Jesus is enough for you. First Corinthians 12, nine, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's not about not being weak. It's not about telling yourself that you are enough. It's not about telling yourself that you are strong, beautiful, and important. You're not. You are completely incomplete. You are completely undeserving of God's love. But God, because he is gracious, because he is kind, because he is strong, because he is able, he sent Jesus to die for you so that when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you in all of your insufficiencies. He looks at Jesus. That is the comfort the comfort for your insecurity, the comfort uh, for your fear, your anxiety, your uh, comparison trap that you're finding yourself in isn't you and your sufficiency. It is God and his sufficiency. It is knowing that every day when I wake up, even though I'm never going to be good enough, even though I'm never going to be the prettiest woman in the world, even though I'm never going to be the best mom, best wife, most organized person in the world, God is perfect. 
He is perfect and he has chosen to die for me and reconcile, uh, reconcile me to him because he loves me, not because I'm good. It's actually because I am not good that he did that. So the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see there that he doesn't say, no, I, I, I'm actually not weak. No, no, no. That's bad self-talk. I, I'm going to motivate myself with a good pep talk that talks about really how awesome I am. No, you're not. I'm not awesome. You're not awesome, but God is. So we can boast in our weaknesses and say, no, I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. Not to the world standards, not to God's standards. I am completely, totally broken and shattered and I will never have enough to offer. I'm completely insufficient, but God, but God is. And thank, thank the Lord that in his mercy, he decided to look upon me, this wretched sinner who deserves absolutely nothing and say, I will save you simply because I'm good. That is the comfort. So the first myth is that you are enough. No, you're not. But Jesus is. And the second myth is that you have to love yourself. Either period or sometimes it continues on. You have to love yourself before you love other people. No. Can you find the verse for that? Now, some people will say, um, the Bible says to love others as you love yourself. Yes, love yourself is not a commandment. Love yourself is a given. Um, it says as you love yourself because that is assumed because everyone loves themselves. Even the people who struggle with self-loathing and insecurity, it is often because we think about ourselves too much. When I have been in my most insecure and down phases, I won't say that I've ever truly struggled with depression, um, but whenever I've been in my most insecure and anxious stages, you know what I'm thinking about the most? It's not other people, it's me. I'm thinking about myself the most. I'm thinking about what I look like, what I sound like, what I appear like to other people. I'm thinking about myself. And I remember there's a specific season in college when I was a sophomore in college where I just like looked in the mirror in the mornings and I was like, you are ugly and gross and everyone is better than you and skinnier than you. Um, and I was not satisfied with looking at Psalm 139 and saying, wow, God is awesome for knitting me together in my mother's womb. And uh, I am... I, I, I'm confident because of who he is. I was not content with that. I wanted to hear that I was uh, physically, superficially beautiful. I wanted to know that I was prettier than other people. I wanted to be as skinny as other people. So it, I didn't need to hear that I was enough or that I needed to love myself. I needed to hear, stop thinking about yourself and focus on God. What we need as a generation who struggles with anxiety is not more self-love. It is God's love. If you find yourself unable to love other people, it's not because you don't love yourself. It's because you don't know God's love. That's what we need to understand. That's what we need to get deeper into. You don't need to love yourself more. You need to understand how God loves you. He loved you so much that he gave his only son to die for you. That he did, he would do anything for you and he did do everything for you. Something he didn't have to do. It's not because you're lovable, it's because he is love. So if we struggle with uh, 
our own confidence. If we struggle with loving and serving other people, it's because we don't understand God's love. And I know that from experience myself as someone who has struggled with insecurity and who does struggle with worrying. I worry a lot. I overthink a lot. Who does struggle with being selfish, who struggles with not wanting to get out of my comfort zone. Like I've been thinking about that a lot recently. Is that how I preach these values? And um, I, I don't often uh, get off the couch and actually go out and help other people. I talk about it. That's not right. That is not because I don't love myself. That's because I have a deficiency in understanding God's love for me. So I am not preaching this to you as someone who doesn't struggle with this myself. So hear me when I say it is not more self-love that you need. You do not need to love yourself before you can love other people. What you need is the gospel. What you need is the gospel, which as I've just said, is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He did that because of his grace. By grace, you have been saved through faith, says Ephesians 2. You need the gospel if you are depressed. You need the gospel if you are lonely. You need the gospel if you are anxious, if you are self-loathing, if you are paranoid, if you are insecure. Now, I've already spoken in the past that I'm just as a little parenthetical caveat here. I am not against medicine. If you are depressed, if you are anxious, uh, if you truly have an anxiety disorder, um, I think that is a gift of common grace. Technology and medicine can be gifts of common grace if that is something that you truly need. So I am not saying that if you are depressed or if you are anxious, it's because you're not praying enough. I, I don't want you to hear me say that. Sometimes there are imbalances in our brains that really need to be fixed by medicine, just like any other disease. But this idea that your problem is that you don't love yourself enough is not true. That's not biblical. Whether you are on medication for depression or not, it is still important for us to dive deeper into who God is and his love for us more than it is to dive deeper into ourselves and how much we love ourselves. We do not need to love ourselves anymore. God's got that for us. He loves us way more than we ever could. He knows us we, way, way better than we ever could. Um, he has chosen us, those of us who are saved more. It's, it's a love that we can't even fathom. So for those of us who deal with insecurity and anxiety, it is, um, it is not a matter of not loving ourselves enough. It is not understanding God's love. So that's myth number two. Uh, myth number three is be you. Um, we hear this, uh, in the forms of you do you. Don't apologize for who you are. Just be unapologetically you. God doesn't make mistakes. Again, there is truth in this. To some degree, yes, you shouldn't be pretending to be something that you're not. But what I am afraid of is that that kind of covers sin too. That, um, oh, if God made you, for example, we hear this with homosexuality a lot or we hear this with transgenderism. Um, God doesn't make mistakes. So if you, you are born a boy, but you feel that you're a woman, then you should be that because you're being truly who you are. Um, if you are attracted to, if you are a man who is attracted to men who also calls yourself a Christian, you should pursue that lifestyle, uh, because God doesn't make mistakes. You should just be who you are when that's not true. Sin as for a Christian is not part of who you are anymore. You are not, um, a, you might be someone who sins, but you are a saint who sins. You are a member of the household of God. If you can tell, I really like Ephesians. So I quote from them a lot. Um, 
But we are called away from that life. And Romans 8 talks about uh, dying to the flesh and being alive in Christ. We are no longer slaves to fall back into the spirit of fear, but we are uh, born of the spirit. We have a spirit of, or we have, uh, we are children of God by which we can call out Abba Father. We are different. We are not defined by our sin. That is not who we are. In Christ, we are a new creation. So I think it's important to distinguish between who you are personality wise, which I agree um, can be used in unique ways for the kingdom of God and who you are sin wise, which needs to die, which needs to be crucified. That's true of all of us, whether it's selfishness or homosexuality, whether it is lying or cheating or stealing or um, transgenders, whatever it is. We are asked to deny those things. We are asked to kill those things. We are asked to crucify those things. So I'm not really interested in being who I am. I am interested in being who God calls me to be. And again, bringing in the whole personality test thing and how that can sometimes lead to idolatry. I, I do I do think that sometimes we focus too much on the intricacies of our personality. Like we view everything through that lens rather than the lens of the gospel, rather than the lens of the Bible. And I think that that really inhibits us because we say, well, no, I couldn't be called to do that or I couldn't do that because I'm I'm an Enneagram 8. Um, I, I couldn't do that because, well, I'm an INFP. So no, that's not for me. This is for me. Um, now there are spiritual gifts in the Bible. You could be a shepherder, shepherder, <laughs> you could be a shepherd, you could be a teacher. There are different things that God has gifted you to do. However, God calls us however he wants to call us. So I think it can be limiting to say, well, this is who I am and this is just me and what I want to do. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, how many of us would have said, Moses would have been a, a great leader, this stuttering uh, former prince of Egypt who uh, went out into the wilderness and spoke to a burning bush like what this guy got this guy like he can barely form words. He's going to what he's going to free us from captivity. What he's going to take us through the the what sea? How's he going to do that? He's he's going to get away from from Pharaoh. How? Okay, God. Okay, right. Sure. Why don't you give us someone who can actually put a coherent sentence together? And yet God did. God used Moses to lead the people eventually to the promised land. But God. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty six through 31 says, uh, he, it talks about the, the just illogical in human, in human terms, the illogical way that God uses people says, uh, first Corinthians for, uh, sorry, I just said this first Corinthians one twenty six to 31 for consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God, but God, there it is. I didn't even know, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. I could cry. This is amazing. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, when you read a passage for the millionth time and you're just hit with the beauty of it, 
Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it's not about doing you. It's not about being you. It's about being who you are in Christ. Yes, God gave you uh, certain personality traits. He gave you certain gifts that should be used to their fullness for his glory, but they're not meant to be limiting. They're not meant to define you. And, uh, they are not meant if they are, there are parts of us that are also inherently sinful. They are not meant to be lived out if they're against God's will. Um, so it's not about doing you. It's about being like Christ. It's about being obedient. It's about being holy and righteous and bold, no matter what your personality type is, no matter what your propensity is towards a particular sin. We are all called to repentance. We are all called to holiness. We are all called called to share the gospel. We are all called to serve and give to the poor. So that's it. That's, that's, uh, our identity is in Christ and that's where we operate from. I don't uh, identify as an eight and operate from a point of view of an eight. I identify as a Christian in Christ and I operate from there. Now, an eight might inform uh, being an eight. I am an Enneagram. Eight might inform some of the ways that I think might help me understand a little bit how I relate to people, but that is not who I am. That is not my identity. That does not define how I speak to people. It does not uh, define how I go about my life, Jesus does. So these are the three myths. Number one, being you are enough. You're not enough. Jesus is enough. Number two, you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself before you love other people is the other variation of that. No, it's not about self-love. It's uh, about God's love. And number three, be you. Uh, Don't be you if being you means sinning. Um, don't find your identity in yourself. Find your identity in Christ. Uh, that's a huge problem that we have, particularly as female Christians, is this me-centered theology in which uh, our comfort at the end of the day is that you are beautiful and enough and awesome. No, your comfort is in Christ and what he did for you on Calvary. And I'm just afraid that we're replacing a Christ-centered gospel with a me-centered gospel, and it doesn't save, and it doesn't sanctify, and it's only going to make you a more selfish and self-aggrandizing person. Yes, you might accomplish some goals. You might lose some weight, for example. You might be more organized. You might uh, do some things that you feel are fueled by your newly found self-confidence that you read from a particular book from Jen Hatmaker, whatever, some Instagram influencer, Haley Baldwin Bieber. Um, But that's not sanctification. That's not what God calls us to. None of those things are bad per se, um, but it's not the gospel. So that's what I wanted to, that's my main message for today. So I also promised, this is a completely different subject. I also promised that I would talk about the Gillette ad that talked about toxic masculinity. So Gillette did an ad. They came out with an ad on, I think I first saw it on Monday. And I'm going to play a little bit for you. It's really visual more than anything. So if you're not watching, it might not have the same impact, but here you go. We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. 
Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. Okay, so the whole thing basically is about like men, this is not who we are. And they show uh, they show men like um, harassing women or condescending women in the workroom. They show a TV show where someone is like pinching a woman's butt and how men are laughing and watching it. They're basically talking about how toxic masculinity has really uh, infected the world. It even shows this one part about uh, of these two boys fighting in a yard and the fathers being like, boys will be boys. They're showing all of that as negative and they're saying that good men are the ones who stick up for women and who uh, defend women against harassment and assault. The reason why I have a hard time with this is because I don't believe that toxic masculinity exists. I believe that sin exists and every single person is corrupt. If you want to say there's toxic masculinity, well, there's toxic femininity too. You can go back to the Garden of Eden and find that. But really, it's not toxic masculinity or toxic femininity. It is sin that manifests itself in varying ways. Um, Yes, men are more physically, they're, more physically powerful than women are. And so there are some sins that have a greater effect on society that men execute than women do simply because we just physically aren't able to carry out the the same things that men do. And we're just not inclined to, we don't have testosterone. We don't have the same aggression. My problem is, is that you see kind of the first half of the thing, first half of the ad talking about harassing women, condescending women, uh, and boys playing in a yard. So what they're doing is they are conflating uh, boy aggression with male toxicity or, or male predation. And I have a significant problem with conflating aggression or assertiveness or rough and tumble with predation. And then the cognitive dissonance of saying that those two things are somehow connected, but also saying that good men are the ones who stick up for women, which I agree with, by the way. There's so much dissonance there because they don't realize that you you don't create passive boys and get strong men. You don't create boys that um, don't fight each other, aren't rough with each other when they're, you know, six to 10 years old who grow up to be uh, who grow up to be these strong men who are going to be heroes and defend women. Now, I'm not saying that boys need to necessarily fight and be uh, rough with each other. I'm not saying that. But if you're saying that boys will be boys is bad, that boys, um, you know, like having some uh, having some good hearted rough and tumble when they're when they're six and seven years old. If you're saying that that is bad, that that is toxic and that we need to make boys what uh, less uh, aggressive in that way, more passive in that way, more feminine, more gentle in that way. And then those boys are going to be the ones who grow up to to. uh to be the ones to stand up for women, not going to happen. You're not. Because if you make boys more passive and more feminine when they're boys, they are not going to grow up to know that they need to stick up for girls because you're basically saying there's no difference between boys and girls. And that's the other cognitive dissonance in all of this is that the same kind of people who say there's no difference between men and women, we're all basically the same, also say that in order for men to be good men, they need to stand up for women. Well, if men and women are inherently the same, then why can't women stand up for themselves? Um, 
which I obviously believe that men and women are different and that men should stand up for women. They should be protectors. They should be providers. Um, they should be, they should be the one to take responsibility at the end of the day and to land a punch on a bully who is, um, you know, picking on someone who is smaller than their size or picking on a woman, whatever it is. I do believe that men should be the ones to do that, but you don't get that by stifling their aggression. You get that by training it. You don't say, Hey, be less assertive, be less of a man, be less masculine. You say, no, use those good God-given things. Use that testosterone, use that assertiveness to be a protector, to be a provider, to be the things that women need you to be. Yes, I said need, need. A lot of women have a hard time with that. Oh, we don't need no man. Well, even if you're not married, which I think is perfectly fine. I've talked about that before. The Bible says, uh, Paul says it is better to be single than to be married. So I'm not saying you have to be married to be complete, certainly not from a Christian perspective. But yes, society in general does need men. Men are different than women. Uh, we already saw Gillette probably didn't mean to show the inherent, di- inherent differences between men and women in that ad, but they did. Um, so yes, we need men, women need men. We need the strength of men. We need the assertiveness of men. We need the aggression of men. A lot of times people think aggression is inherently wrong. Well, it's not unless it's used for abuse, unless it's used for condescension. Um, it doesn't have to be. It can be used in a very good and a very protective and a very defensive way. So just this entire idea that uh, masculinity is toxic is absolutely crazy to me. These from the same people too. It's so funny. These from the same people that saying that all kind of sexual choices that you make is is totally fine. Now they're showing that it's wrong to watch a show where a man is like pinching a woman's butt, which I agreed that is wrong. But Christians have been sounding this alarm for a long time that, hey, maybe sexual purity is something that we should talk about and promote. And they all laughed at us. But now uh, purity in at least some sense is important when it pushes the feminist cause or something. And if your mind can't wrap around that, that's because you are a logically thinking person and you are confused by all of this crazy stuff. It's okay. Me too. The American Psychology Association, I think it's what it's called. They just put out this um, amazing, amazing study saying that traditional masculinity is wrong. It's bad for society. Well, there was this great article in Psychology Today, basically in a very calm and factual way, saying that this is a stupid study. It bases it on uh, social and political ideologies rather than on scientific fact. Um, And they even defended themselves. The APA said, well, we're just talking about the extreme behaviors of a few men. We're not talking about men in general. Okay, so again, they're talking about sin. Like it's not about masculinity. It's just about sin that manifests itself differently in different people because we are different. Oh man, I mean, progressivism is just eating itself. Just take solace in the fact that the Bible, it's, <laughs> the Bible is clear and the Bible gives you a great guidebook and the Bible tells you exactly what you need to know about gender, about culture, about the differences and all of those things. And as long as you abide by that, you don't have to worry too much about the crazy and the complication in the world. Um, okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you are at March for Life tomorrow, I will be there. I would love to say hi. Hi. 